All right. Let's all do right. it. Hey, Pete. Hey, Simon. How about you tell us all about fuzzy logic? Yeah, I can do that. Boom. <laughs> Insert theme song here. All right. So fuzzy logic. I'm going to start by saying that it's been a while since I've worked deeply in fuzzy logic. Um, it was a big part of my graduate degree, but that was many moons ago. Before, and so, you, before you nestled deeply into warm, fuzzy logic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I used to have a really awesome t-shirt that just said fuzzy on the front and it was in felt. Oh, man. Sorry, logic. It said logic on the front. That makes oh, way more sense. Oh, yeah. That's a good visual pun. Yeah. The previous one wasn't nearly no, as funny. No, the previous one makes no sense. Um, anyway, so I may get things wrong and I apologize for that. You can, uh, if anyone out there knows anything about fuzzy logic, feel free to uh, let us know that it's a thing that I got wrong and we'll do our best to correct it anyhow uh yeah so fuzzy logic pretty much it falls first off under the umbrella of machine learning well okay it doesn't but it does um (laughs) fuzzy logic essentially in and of itself is a way for you to mathematically express linguistic or humanistic things so i'll talk first about fuzzy logic and then a bit a little about neurofuzzy and maybe even a little bit about neural networks and the ways that they learn things and then uh, that'll branch into the other maybe glossary episodes we kind of want to do down in the future about how learning actually happens and stuff like that. So, okay. so it's like, it's using math for things that math was never meant to be used for. Yeah. So pretty much it's like neuro fuzzy controllers, which is what I was working with for my thesis was basically how can you take things that humans do and make machines do them by mm. making them worse at math? Yeah. What if you ever heard of something referred to as a black box controller, mm-hmm. you're making black box controllers or nonlinear controllers. Mm. Um, I think I talked about nonlinear controllers in the PID control glossary. This right. is very similar oh, cool. in that it is one. <laughs> yeah. It's so similar. It is one. Yeah. So this was like, I think we originally. That was a fuzzy joke. <laughs> yes. Wait, what? I didn't get it. <laughs> Go on. But we will in a few minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it'll, it'll resolve into a picture of clarity in my yeah. mind over time. Yes. So, yeah, this was originally introduced as a something you used for controlling rice cookers, right? Yeah. That was a thing. So that's the, where people might have actually seen it in the real world. Exactly. That's pretty much the only place you might have seen it in the real world and known and actually had a label saying this is fuzzy logic. Man, no, a rice cooker says fuzzy logic on it. Yeah. I don't even need a rice cooker. That's yeah, okay. I want one too. All right. I think anyway, let's move on from rice cookers. <laughs> so, so what is fuzzy logic? Okay. So fuzzy logic or fuzzy set theory as it's more formally referred to is basically the easiest way to describe it is if you start from set theory, which is basically trying to figure out whether or not something falls into a particular category, so hot, cold, red, blue, dark, light, those are categories that have set almost like binary memberships. So it's it's true that's in there or it's false that it's not in there. What Fuzzy does is it starts to kind of blend or like sort of make edges to those memberships that are fuzzy. So it could sort of be a little bit black or a little bit red or like a little hot, bit dark. Hot-ish. Yeah. Blue-ish. And ex- exactly. And those terms you use to refer to how much it falls into a particular membership are called linguistic variables. Okay. Because they're literally linguistic terms. So if you want to, for instance, use the classic example that I think I talked about before where you have a shower controller that you have set up in your shower to keep your shower at the perfect temperature for you. Mm. Um, your variables, your linguistic variables could be things like very hot, a little bit hot, somewhat hot, sort of medium, comfortable room temperature. Scalding. Yeah. You can make, use those exact terms and those refer to particular parts of 
the spectrum of all the things that are temperature mm. or the spectrum of all the things that are hot. Okay. And that's called your universe of discourse. Hmm. Neat. So like if we're talking about colors, like purple would be kind of part of the set, which is blue and also kind of part of the set, which is red. Right. So if your whole universe of discourse was colors, then yeah, purple would be in between red and blue. Oh, okay, cool. And they'd have, and the shapes that they make between those different categories are specific to the type of membership function that you want to use. So you can use trapezoidal membership functions where they're like, um, a square with two angular sides. Mm-hmm. They're trapezoids. So, like, so the, ima- <laughs> the amount that it belongs to that function degrades linearly yeah. as the further you, further you get. And the other mm-hmm. common one is you use Gaussian functions, which are basically smooth, a smoother version of that, yeah, where, like, where it's sort of a, a sinusoidal blend between the top and bottom. Mm-hmm. Like the bell curve kind of yeah, shape? Yeah, exactly. It's a bell curve. So then also like like purple would be like maybe somewhere halfway between red and blue, and you could be like mauve would be yeah. like more to the red side, right. maybe more of a set of red than blue. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Oh, cool. Sorry, the last one was also triangular, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Where only like the very middle is in the Yeah, center. where only right in the very center has a, a degree one membership, which means it's entirely in that category. Well, mm. the same would be true of like the bell curve one, right? Yeah, only the very center. absolutely. Yeah, it's, right. But trapezoidal, you have a wide range. You have a wide range of things that have a, a degree of one membership. Oh man, I'm totally getting this. I know. And My so shapes, and yeah. also depending on how much they overlap, also depends on their the how the degree to different ones and how much they overlap. Hmm. Um, but I'm going to back off for a second. Okay. So this sort of in terms of industrial control or in terms of the application to control systems, because now we've sort of talked about what fuzzy is the mm-hmm. way that you actually use it for control systems starts from humans again. So if you think about a factory and oftentimes you have a guy whose job it is to do a thing in a factory because humans are good at control generally, if you want to replace him with a fuzzy system or a fuzzy control system, what you need to know is the sorts of things he looks for and how he reacts to those particular situations. <laughs> Sorry, I'm picturing like a robot you designed to just be like frightened by random things. <laughs> It's a picture of a ghost. Oh my god! <laughs> In situations where your machine is on fire, how do you react? Yeah. Different levels of fire. Is it like a big fire or like a smolder? No, but that, that's fire? actually okay. I'm going to go with that. That's actually a good question. So, let's say that you want to design a fuzzy controlled system for extinguishing fires. Oh, okay. So, um, you would ask a guy who is a, a, a fireman. Let's say. Yeah. What do you look for in fires and how do you respond to different types of fires? So different mm. locations, different sizes of fires, different heat intensities of fires. Mm. How do you tell what type of fire it is and then respond accordingly? Okay. And so you would basically look at the things that they're looking for in terms of categories of situation in terms of fire. Right. And you would put the, build your linguistic variables. So big, small, hot, cold, stuff like that, blue, orange, red. And no, then, and these variables could be measurements of different things. Like yeah. you could be measuring, like you could say it's oh, yeah. an urban fire versus a suburban fire. It yeah. should be a measurement of location. For more complicated systems, you can, you can take different types of things. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it could, it could not just be temperature. It could be color and temperature and a whole bunch of other stuff. Right. And then you ask them questions about what they do when certain things are true all at the same time. Okay. But they're only basically the absolutes. So you mm-hmm. would say, if the fire is hot and the fire is red and the fire is on someone's back, how do you respond? <laughs> okay. Or like if it is, if it is red, but it's, but it's uh, not that hot, but it's someone's hair, how do you respond? Mm, okay. And so those build up what's called your rule base. So mm-hmm. the middle part of your fuzzy controller is your rule base. 
So what, sorry, what was the first part? I the first part is the membership functions. Membership, okay. So the first thing you do is you figure out what your linguistic variables are, and those correspond to your memberships. So those are the the categories that you have for your inputs. Okay. So the categories mm-hmm. you have for the things you're measuring. All right. And then you have to, from there, build rules for how the controller responds to those categories. Are we still in the universe of discourse here? Um, or is that, that, that's, that's the first part. part. That's probably the first part. Okay. So that, that blob is the whole first part. Yeah. Let's move away Mm -hmm. maybe from the fire example because that's probably harder to get your head around. I mean, we could, we could go back to the cruise control example from PID if that's more consistent. I like the, the, the shower one. That's my classic. All right. Shower. Okay. So the first part you have to do is you have to talk to somebody who controls the taps in their shower to find out how they make the shower hotter or colder. Mm -hmm. Um, In my house, because of our heating system, it's a little finicky. And so, for instance, if I want to get the shower hot, first of all, I turn the hot tap all the way on. Mm -hmm. And then I adjust the cold tap and I adjust it, for instance, a little bit uh, less hot until I turn the actual shower little thingy up. Mm -hmm. And then once the shower is actually on, I go, I adjust the heat again. Okay. And so those are basically the things I'm going to be looking for are the position of the taps and the temperature of the water. Okay. And the state of the, the shower, if the shower is on or the shower is off, the little pull thing, right. know, the valve or whatever it's called. Yeah. And so those would be my inputs. And so I would have to define membership functions for those. So for the little pulley uppy downy thing, that'd probably just be like two. It's binary. It's binary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's right. not really fuzzy at all. Okay. But for the heat and for the position of the taps, it could be like full to the left, full to the right, in the middle, mm-hmm. hot, cold, lukewarm, stuff like that. And you might also take into account like things like the environment, whether it's like for me, how, how, how I set, like whether, whether I perceive the showers being hot at a certain temperature depends wildly on how cold it is outside. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like I would say ambient temperature. Yeah, yeah. I want a hot shower in the summer is going to be like the middle of the knob, but like a hot shower in like January is all the way to the hot. Side. Exactly. Okay. So then you have your, your membership functions based on those categories and mm-hmm. how you want them to overlap and how you want them to blend together. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the classic is just to use trapezoids or, or Gaussian trapezoids tend to be a little obviously linear. And so they're a little bit more consistent with what you'd expect. But mm-hmm. so you, like this is in this case, you're saying like if I want a hot shower, it will most likely meet that criteria when the hot knob is somewhere in this range from like. Yeah. I don't know. Some, no, some... All, all you're saying is that these temperatures correspond to these positions of the knob correspond to very hot. These okay. correspond to a little bit hot. These correspond to not very hot. Uh, okay. And then you would do the cold knob and you would say these correspond to very cold, a little bit cold, not as cold. Right. Um, so you're just basically defining regions of the inputs and what category those correspond to. Oh, okay. Mm. And so you would, so it would be combinations of those. It'd be like when yep. the, when the cold knob's here, the hot knob has to be here before I would call it hot. Yep. Um, and one of the things that takes a little bit of tuning and a little bit of iteration is trying to figure out how many categories you need. Because if you have, for instance, let's say that knob and you, you build your fuzzy controller and you run it and it seems like it's making wild jumps between different situations, right? it probably means you don't have enough categories because it's going from hot to not as hot over a wide variety of positions, which means it's going to be jumping all over the place trying to figure out where to go. Mm-hmm. So you, then you would sort of build, put a category in between that's like, not quite as Warm. hot. Yeah. yeah. Hot-ish. And so that, that's a little bit of, uh, of tuning to try to get the right number of categories and seeing how they overlap okay. so that you get nice consistency. Mm-hmm. And would that be like, would you start from a control point of view of that or would you start from a linguistic point of view and see how many like things people could reasonably distinguish? You can do it really intuitively because it's all a very humanistic approach. You can just basically think of like, well, how many different positions for this knob do I think I'd normally put it in? 
Okay. You need to, I think there's probably like two or three and you'd be like, okay, well I'll make three. Yeah. So like the, like the, the cold part of the knob or yeah. like the middle part or like all the way to the left. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, okay. And then you have your rules. Your rules are very simple. Your rules are, um, how the different categories blending together result in you doing something. Mm-hmm. And the way that you define your rules are using if then statements or if and then statements or if or then statements exactly mm-hmm. like you would in programming. Yeah. Just so, like, like logical. Yep. Okay. So your, your rules for the shower would be something like if the hot knob is very left, like, or all the way to the left or very hot. Yeah. And the cold knob is very cold, then do something. Okay. Um, and you can also do ors, but ands are more common. You'd generally just always do ands. Now, the thing you're trying to do is to get to a particular state. Yeah. At the end of the, at the end of the day, your, your result is something to do with your outputs. Okay. Something to do with what you're doing as a result. Right. Mm-hmm. You want to end up with water of a certain temperature. Yeah. So in the case of the shower example, it would be move the left tap or move the right tap. Okay. Or both. Or both. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Okay. And so you build up your rules. Then you start to, once you have your rules together, your next step is you need to figure out how you're going to combine the rules together to get a single output or a single combination of outputs, like your, your, your result, basically. Mm-hmm. How do you figure out what your result is? And there's two different ways of doing that. Um, they're called inference methods. Um, they're both named after researchers. Okay. Um, one of them is called the Mamdani method. It's mm-hmm. the most common. And for the Mamdani method, basically what you do is you take all of those membership functions you had in the beginning for how much it was in those different uh, categories. Mm -hmm. And you basically take all of them and you take how much your inputs fall into each of them and you cut them off at that level. So if they're a shape, like a trapezoid or or a bell curve, you sort of find where you were on that curve or on that shape, cut off the rest of it, and just layer them all on top of each other like a single shape. So you just add them all together so it's this weird kind of almost like a 2d topology of like a this like mm-hmm. you're looking at the side of a mountain mm. where they're all kind of overlapping and they're all kind of cut off at the top mm-hmm. and then you take the center of gravity and that's oh. how you find your output so you take basically the the amount of area that was corresponding to each of the inputs mm-hmm. and uh how and then base well and then you yeah you basically just find the center of gravity of those hmm. okay so so people can picture this this is graphing from left to right would be all the values, the possible settings, if it was for your hot knob. Yeah. Left to right is all, is, is the graph on the very left of the graph is all the way left on the knob. And on the right of the graph is all the way right on the graph. And then somewhere in the middle, you've got this trapezoid that says this area is hot. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then, okay. And then you'd have the same thing for your cold graph and the yep. same thing for your up down yep. knobby thingy and maybe one for like your time of year. Yeah. And then so you would go and you'd say, these are all my settings, my current settings. You would basically say, um, so e- for each of those shapes, right. the shape that corresponds to the different regions of hot and the different regions of cold and the different right. regions of the time of year, yeah. your, the actual value you're measuring at that point yeah. would give you a degree of membership for each of those shapes. So for the cold shape, you could have degree zero. It's not at all cold. Right. For the warm shape, it could be a little bit warm. And so you could have a degree of like 0.1. Right. Um, it's generally zero to one. Oh, okay. And then depending on the degree of membership for each of those shapes, the shape gets cut off at that height uh, between zero and one because the shapes are going between zero and one, right. between mm-hmm. not at all member and a, a complete member. Okay. And then you just add all the shapes together for all the different inputs. Okay. So to make like a, just a slightly simpler thing so people can visualize it. Yeah. With our red and blue. Sure. If you have – you've got – like purple is somewhere – you'd have – 
if you had the the whole spectrum of color, mm-hmm. uh, like from red, reggie bib all the way across, and uh, actually, I guess it'd be better to pick two that are side by side. Anyway, whatever. We put red and blue next to each other. Sure. You, you, have, you, have the, you have the whole gamut from red to blue. Red versus mm-hmm. blue. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you pick a point somewhere in the middle, and so you've got two overlapping, let's say, bell curves that center yep. on on whatever F FF zero 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 and zero zero FF zero zero. And, uh, That's impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And somewhere in the middle, <laughs> you've picked a purple color, which will be somewhere around like root two on both. Yep. Ish. Mm-hmm. We go slightly more blue. So you've got like. Let's say 0.5 on each. Yeah. Okay. Because you, it's halfway between zero and one. But it's because, but you're right. It's it gonna, would be if it was trap is, it would the, be if it was triangular. You're right. The degree of membership because it's a, a bell curve is different. It'll yeah. be something wacky. Anyway, yeah. point is, so then you cut it off. So you end up with these sort of like they curve up and then they go flat across yep. at a half and then curve down. Yep. And then because if we picked a point exactly halfway between the two, then they should be the same size. Yes. But if you go left and right, then either the blue or the red one will get bigger or smaller yep. as you go mm-hmm. up one and down the other. Exactly. Oh, okay. And so what you do then is you take, if you only have one thing that you're measuring, so mm-hmm. in this case, the amount of red or the amount of blue, right? then you just take the center of gravity of both of those. And that's the output value. You have, that's the corresponding output value, hmm. your output number, basically. Okay. If you have multiple inputs... Then you take that shape that you've got with those two that are cut off and yeah. you put it on top of the other inputs mm. and you get this weird complicated shape. And then you take the center of gravity of that. Right. Cause you're summing things up. Yeah. You're stacking them. So that's basically the whole idea of putting all of those membership functions on all those shapes on top of each other and finding the center of gravity is the Mamdani method. Okay. Um, now the, we go all the way back. Yeah. The other now name. We, yeah. Now, now we're going to talk about, uh, I always forget this guy's name. Hold on. Let me, like, let me look this up very quietly while we're. And this is going to make for some great podcasting. Okay, there we go. All right, so it is... Oh, come on. You said you were going to give me the information, and then you're not giving me the information. <laughs> uh, we have a deal here, Internet. I ask you for information, and you give it to me, and then I give it to the world at large via the podcast. Uh, yes, got it. Okay, so it is the Takagi Sugeno Kang, or TSK. Okay. It's commonly just known as the TSK method. Mm-hmm. Okay. What you do there is you basically take those numbers that corresponded to each of the inputs, so that degree of membership, and you add all of them up for each rule. So for each rule, you have a degree of membership and you have – this is where it gets a little bit complicated. For each rule, you have a degree of membership and you have an output. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the output has a weight. And so what you do is you add up all of the degrees of – all the degrees of – all the weights – you, you sum up all of the degrees of membership and then you divide by all of the weights, I think. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a difference of sums. Okay. I don't yeah. remember exactly how it works. Yeah, so it's, it's a difference like, of it's sums. It's kind of like yeah. fi- finding the mean, only the mean with reference to yeah. a particular value. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. You basically find the sum of all of the memberships for each of the rules and then the weighting of those rules overall. Right. And you find the overall value that corresponds to all of that. Okay. So they're, they're both methods for averaging how far, how, how it fits into various different categories. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So what do you do with that number? Okay. Once so that, you've found this gravity and you spit out a number. That number then is the output from your controller. It's your manipulated variable. Okay. So in the case of the shower, it's the... It's the, I mean, if you have two outputs like that, it gets a bit more complicated because mm-hmm. you have to figure out how the rules correspond to each of the two outputs. Oh, okay. And then you do it for both. And so you end up with the amount that you're doing, turning the right knob and the amount that you're turning the left knob. 
mm-hmm. um, for more classical systems where you have a single output like throttle position or something like that. Well, if you, like you took my shower, my shower has a single knob and mm-hmm. it, you turn it on and yeah. so it, it goes, you turn it on and it's hot and then you turn it past on to cool it down. I yeah. think, or the other way around. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway. It's the single lever shower. So you, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. So you'd, so you'd feed in, like you'd walk in and be like, I want a hot shower and it is January. Yeah. And it'll go, okay. The point that overlaps those is yeah. like 36 degrees of counterclockwise rotation. Yeah. It okay. would basically, it would measure water temperature and it would measure ambient temperature and it would output the position of the handle. It would measure the water temperature of the like hot and hot and cold water coming into the, the... current water temperature. Okay, it was, so it, yeah. it's it's going to it's going to in real time adjust the handle yeah. to try to hit something yeah. that will fall into what I think is a hot shower in January. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Cool. So that's basically a, a very quick overview. Not very super. It gets a little complicated, but that's basically how they all come together in terms of what a fuzzy controller does. I'm just going to break here for one second and say for a really good description of how they actually work, you can look at Wikipedia, and it's not bad. Um, I would actually recommend looking at the documentation from the MathWorks website from MATLAB. Okay. Because they have a fuzzy logic toolbox, and their descriptions for how their algorithms are implemented are really good. They have descriptions of Mabdani, of TSK, of all the different ways you can put the input membership functions together. It's all just described really well mm. cool so but this is like the, the the crux of it is you'd use it for doing something where you couldn't very well train you couldn't easily translate from an abstract concept like bright or dark and use it to create a system that controls something so that someone would say yeah that's like the lights are bright or the lights are dim right you use it for situations where you have first of all a nonlinear system okay a weird side note, if you implement a fuzzy controller using Segeno inference and triangular me- or membership functions, I think triangular, and you implement it in uh, a system that's linear, you end up with a PID controller, more Neat. or less. Hmm. I would like to know why that is, but I imagine it's very complicated and I wouldn't understand. I, I, I think. It, it seems to end up pretty much exactly like you would expect in terms huh. of like linear like responses. A, like the transfer function will yeah. look the same. Well, not transfer, there's no transfer function. It's just the way that it responds. Well, you could yeah. infer a transfer function. We just have to bump test your bump test your fuzzy yeah. logic controller. Yeah. <laughs> that actually touches on a very interesting point, which is um, with fuzzy control, you can't prove it's stable. It's it's pretty much like an active research topic because it's pretty much impossible to prove mathematically that it's stable. There's always mm. the possibility that your fuzzy logic shower is suddenly going to get really unbearably hot. No, it's just you don't know what it's going to do for yeah. sure. And, any, and especially in situations where you're, again, outside of that universe of discourse. Mm. One of the nice things is that if you give it um, a situation it doesn't know. So mm. if you give it, like, let's say that you have your universe of discourse for your inputs being between... Like we can stick zero, with hot and cold. Yeah, zero good. degrees and thirty degrees. Yeah. If you give it a value of thirty-five, it will output zero most of the time. Right. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't. It doesn't know where the, whether that's above or below. Or it just basically it's it's outside of all of your membership functions. So right. Your output is just zero, huh. which mm-hmm. is nice. Yeah. If it doesn't know what to do, it just turns off. To turn yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially if your control is one like that, like the single knob where zero exactly. turns it to off. Exactly. So that works out really nicely. But what some people have done in the past is they'll put fuzzy controllers in parallel with a PID controller so they can prove that it will be stable even when it's they don't know what the fuzzy controller is doing because the PID controller can kick in and stabilize it. Mm. That's cool. That is cool. That's kind of neat. Okay, so really quickly, I'm going to talk about um, how you take fuzzy controllers and make them smarter. 
So what I did with my, my master's thesis, which is a classic approach to fuzzy, is I also combined it with a neural network. Um, neural networks are, they're biologically inspired systems based on how the brain works and learns. Generally speaking, they have layers of different nodes and it's kind of hard to describe without have in a podcast because it's a very visual thing to think about. Mm-hmm. It's trying um, to like discretize. You have little, you have little tiny boxes that they know what they do. They listen to like yeah, A and exactly. B and they do C yeah. and then you teach them what you want C to be based on A and B. Right. So basically exactly. You have, you have little boxes for categories and you have in the middle, you have little boxes for situations right. and the, um, the way that they draw lines between all of them and the boxes in the middle are mathematical functions and the mm-hmm. mathematical functions basically output something depending on the function, depending on what they're given and they have weights yeah. and then you can, you aggregate everything at the end, whether you add it together or you do a product or whatever, everything gets put together at the end and there's a single output. Yeah. It really is best described with a diagram, yeah, which makes it terrible it's for really, podcasts. It's really hard. <laughs> okay. So we should, li- like, we can link to a diagram. Yeah. And you can- Suffice to say the, 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 easiest way to take a fuzzy system and get it to learn is to implement what's called an ANFIS system or an artificial neural fuzzy inference system. Yeah, that works. Um, (laughs) that sounds right. (laughs) And, uh, what you're basically doing there is if you, if you squint your eyes and scrunch up your ears and think about what I just said about neural networks, they kind of have a similar structure to a fuzzy controller and you can actually take a fuzzy controller and structure it like a neural network. You can take the inference, um, like take the membership functions and make them your inputs, to the neural network. You can take your inference method and make it the middle part. Right. And, or so the, 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 the last and the middle part and the last part, which kind of aggregate everything together. Right. Your rules are going to be those lines that come between them and how they correspond. And you can basically yeah. restructure it. So it's a neural network and then you assign weights to everything and you change the weights depending on how it's behaving. And so, which is what basically you get down to with learning algorithms. Learning algorithms generally are, you have a system that has weights assigned to different categories or different situations, and you change those weights depending on what the system is doing compared to what you think it should be doing. And that's usually defined by a cost function. Hmm. So if you have a, a car that's driving down the road, paying attention to the lines on either side of the lane, and it's not tracking very well based on what you think it should be doing, which is following the lines and what it's doing, which is not. Right. Mm-hmm. It's then drifting you would, back and forth. Right. Then you would start to adjust those weights to try to get it to do what it should be doing. Huh. And then you'd, okay. so you'd be qualitatively watching whether it's behaving the way you want it. Exactly. And, and adjust it. And the way that you adjust those weights depends on your learning algorithm. It could be something like reinforcement learning, which I think Paul talked about briefly. It can be genetic algorithms. It can right. be a whole bunch of stuff. The, you could just do it through like repetition and be like, turn, make me a hot shower and be like, no, that's way too cold. Make exactly. me a hot shower. Yeah. No, it's way too hot. Make <laughs> exactly. me a hot shower. Okay. That's a yeah. little bit closer. And you would adjust those weights and you would look at the outputs and then readjust them and see what happens. The, the easiest way to do it, which is the method that I used, which is the common method for Anfis systems is called gradient descent, which is basically you slowly adjust them. Then stop when you get to where you want to be. Yeah. And so you have a cost function. Your cost function is basically like you're optimizing all your different weights to get to what you think it should be doing to minimize error is Mm. basically what you most commonly do. Okay. And so if I really quickly step away from that and talk about what I did for my thesis, as an example, I was working with rehabilitation robotics. So I was trying to get a robot to act the same way as a therapist in a post-stroke rehab situation. Okay. And so what I would do is measure how a therapist would work with a patient in terms of the forces going on between the patient and the therapist. 
and then as they're doing an exercise. So this, is, like, this, is the, this is a therapist pushing back on the patient's like limb as they're trying to make This was a leading around. exercise. So let's say that like I want a person to follow a circle. Right. Mm-hmm. So I would hold their hand and move them through a circle. Okay. So they could feel what it and felt like to go I would respond. The, yeah, the therapist would respond to different jerks or different motions the patient would make to try to get them to follow that circle and lead them around the circle. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then what I would do with the the system that I designed is – as I would basically say, okay, train yourself on this. First of all, I'd used a weird method to find my rules and find my membership functions right. called clustering, where you look at the data and you actually pull it out automatically. Okay. So you look at basically areas of that measured data and it gives you your rules and it gives you your membership functions. Hmm. So would that be like if you had a bunch of water, like buckets of water, to go to a temperature thing, if you had a bunch of buckets of water at set temperatures and you had like a whole bunch of people come in and be like, stick their hands in a bunch of buckets and say, how would you describe this as warm? Yes or no. Would you describe this as cold? Yes or yeah. no. And then aggregated all that data mathematically to figure out what people think is cold and what people think is hot. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which you would think would probably end up kind of Gaussian similar to like if we, yeah. but some of or like you that. would, you would take measurements in your house as you're using the shower over a year. And then oh. figure out how you normally use the shower and what you normally think of as hot. Mm. You'd be like, hey, today yeah. I'm ta- today I took a warm shower, and then exactly. tell it every time you take a shower how you would describe that yeah. shower. Oh, okay. So anyway, so what I then basically put those into a controller that defined the commanded the position of the robot based on the measured interaction between the robot and the patient. Yeah, and then over time it would adjust those weights for my controller based on how well it was behaving the same way the therapist had. So okay. I had so my, the accounting for so the therapist might not actually be following yeah. the circle either, but if they're not following the circle in the same way, the therapist was not following yeah. the circle. That'd so be good. It, basically I, ha- I would train it with, I would have it corresponding to the reactions the therapist made and trying to make sure the robot was doing the same thing. Oh, cool. And it was weird because that what I had actually happen at one point was when I was first working with the system, I had a couple of my, my negative signs off in terms of what direction the robot thought was left and right and what thought the data, what information the data had in terms of what was left and right corresponding to the, the target, like the circle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, the, the learning system actually inverted all of my membership functions. So it still worked because it was mm. basically, it was basically like, Oh, it's not doing the same thing. It's doing the opposite of what it should be doing. And so it adjusted all of my weights. So everything was backwards. Ah, so it, 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 it fixed your problem yes. in the back end. Yes. Neat. That's cool. I wish more things fixed themselves that way. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's really cool. Yeah. So this was, uh, this was a good, like, kickback to a previous discussion we had about machine learning, but I think we've sort of just scratched the surface of, it's becoming a big topic, machine learning. And Absolutely. That sort of mm-hmm. stuff. And actually, if you think about the stuff that I was just talking about, the, the really popular, um, Go playing robot recently, AlphaGo. Yeah. That was actually the systems that they were using were a combination of reinforcement learning, which is one of the learning systems that you can use with fuzzy systems and with neural networks. Yeah. Um, neural networks in and of themselves and, uh, expert systems, which is basically training them using people playing again and again and again and again and yeah. having it play itself again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because it's, it's the same types of techniques. They're very, very similar. Yeah. Most of the time it's just repeating a bunch of times and seeing. What changes make things work better? My favorite is actually reinforcement learning, which they also used, which is where you basically have it learn the same way people do. And reinforcement learning is basically like you do a thing and you look at the output and say, is this what I, did I react the right way? Yeah. Yes or no. It's like, no, I didn't. It's like you describe this as a good reaction. Exactly. It's like if let's say that you're trying to learn not to fall off tables. 
So you're like, you're standing on the table and somebody pushes you when you fall down. You're like, was this the right, the good outcome? No. Okay. I'll try it again. Mm. Go back on top of the table and somebody <laughs> pushes you and you like brace yourself. You're like, Oh, that was a good outcome. Okay. And then you do it a hundred thousand more times. Right. And generally you figure out that if people push you, you should brace yourself. Otherwise you're going to fall off the table. Mm. <laughs> That's cool. So I, I think this is a topic we'll have to have to come back to because there's a bunch of other cool topics in machine learning that cover more things that people will see, mm-hmm. especially increasingly on the internet with mm-hmm. bots and stuff going on. Mm-hmm. I'll try to also in the show notes put either some diagrams or some links to really good resources where you can actually look at visual examples of this stuff because mm-hmm. it's so hard to describe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think, I think you've hit on like the main idea, like, of trying to teach a machine to understand what it means. I, I like the, like I, how hard it would be to teach a machine what it means to have a warm shower Yeah, yeah. with all the variables yeah. that, that that entails. Or fluffy rice. Yeah. Fluffy versus sticky rice. Yeah. yeah. That one, I, I want to know how that works actually. Like do like how, what, what does it control even? It controls the temperature of the heating vessel, I think. I guess like, like the, co- the cooking speed and the cooking temperature yeah. to mm-hmm. see what, how much like gluten comes out of it. We're not yeah. gluten, but like. And what we learned recently, this is our brief fun fact of the week. Rice cookers generally measure the capacitance of the rice because the capacitance of rice changes as it's cooking. Yeah. Yeah. Someone mentioned that. Oh. Also, it's kind cool. of weird. Yeah. I just realized you can use the term glutinous to refer to rice as like being really sticky, but there's no gluten in no rice. Gluten no gluten in rice. That's really weird. But gluten is what makes things sticky. Yeah. So it's it's like it has gluten, yeah. but it's not actually. It's the elastic. Pseudo-glutinous? It's the, it's the rubber of the food world. Yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> we got way off topic now. <laughs> That's okay. People like it when we, like, digress, I think. We if, think. If they don't, they should go on Facebook and tell us. <laughs> no one has complained, yeah. so. If they don't, they should like, get in touch with us. We, we like digressing, and we're going to keep doing it <laughs> until somebody tells us not to. All right. Speaking of digressions, let's go to one we actually planned. Yeah. This week's episode brought to you by Quanzer. That was really cool. That was totally not planned. I loved that. (laughs) That was the highlight of my day. Um, Abby, why don't you tell us what you learned from Quanzer this week? Um, This week uh, from Quanzer, I learned about um, LQR controllers. What's that? Uh, linear quadratic regulator controllers. Ooh. Yeah. Fancy words. Yeah. Um, and I just essentially learned that they're a optimal control strategy because they calculate gains based on a cost function. And yeah. That's, that's better than doing it ways that are not optimal. Yes. Optimal, optimal is are, best. Optimal by definition is the best. Yeah. Yep. yep. All right. Thank you, Kwanzaa, for sponsoring our podcast. Yes. Yep. <laughs> And thank you, listeners, for continuing to listen to us, despite the fact that we digress. Yeah, we like listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one thing I wanted to mention also, which is that, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll skip over the sort of social things for now, because this is a quick episode and people know that stuff already. Yeah. It's how do you eng at most places. Good job qu- skipping over it by then mentioning <laughs> Well, it's brief. Anyway, um, a new thing that we have is we are on Geek Life Radio, radio, radio. And uh, you can listen to us on Mondays at 6 o'clock Central or 7 o'clock Eastern p.m. <laughs> and uh, 1,800 hours. Yeah. So you, if you don't want to, like, have the episode on your handy-dandy mobile app or on what, listening to it online, you can listen to it live. Or if you want it to be followed well, by, I think, music. I think it's music yeah. the rest of the time. Sorry, it's not live at all. If you want to listen no to it live. surrounded by 
other things that are recorded. Yeah. Yes. If you want people the, that aren't us. If you want the full radio experience. Yes, exactly. You can hear us on the internet radio. Yeah. I think it's on geekliferadio.com. You can also just find them by Googling. <laughs> We're so good at this. <laughs> All right. Awesome. This episode was brought to you by Kwanzaa.